Uh, Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to take one more week this week uh, to look at spiritual gifts. About Wednesday when we were away, I I came down with, uh, we've been struggling with a a bug um, before we left. In fact, Sunday we were supposed to, we are going to be visiting another local church on our way to New York, um, and Rachel's throat was hurting her so bad. Well, she had strep throat, um, and uh, it's better now, so it's not contagious. Uh, and I don't know what I've had, but Wednesday I started to get laryngitis, with, lost my voice, and it's coming back. But I said to Rachel, man, do I need to text Dennis and give him a heads up that I might not be able to speak? And, and Rachel's response is, well, your, ser- your sermon will be shorter if you have trouble speaking. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> so I was like, ouch, from my own wife. <laughs> so we'll see how the voice holds up. Uh, but as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we do see again that we are indeed called to be one body. One body, yet many members. And and as we've seen in the text, unity does not mean uniformity, right? Uh, Unity does not mean everyone acts and thinks the same way. There is great variety in Christ's body. God has designed us unique, but here's the key. With, he's created us unique, but with the common purpose of bringing glory to God by pointing ourselves and others to Jesus. That's how everything works. We are unique, but we are bonded together by Christ with a common purpose. You know, you think of recipes, and I don't like to cook. I like to enjoy the fruits of what people cook. But you think of recipes. And there's different, all sorts of different ingredients in a recipe to make one item, whether it be a cake or a pie or uh, whatever it is you're baking. Well, you know what a recipe for disaster is in a church it's having all sorts of different ingredients all sorts of of diverse people and those diverse people are seeking selfish aims that's disaster in a church just as if you had all these different ingredients and you were out of out of one out of one uh recipe you all of a sudden said i'm going to make all sorts of different things with these different ingredients. You know what a recipe for success is in a church? It is those same diverse people that are bound to seek Christ to be preeminent in their lives and in the church. See, the problem's not with the diversity of people. The problem is the purpose of which those diverse people are all about. It is either selfish aims 
or it is a desire for Christ to be preeminent. And just like John the Baptist said, our heart's desire, if we're going to have Christ be preeminent, is Christ must be exalted. He must increase, and I must decrease. If Christ is going to be preeminent in our lives, in our church, we must decrease to allow Christ to increase. So Paul compares the church to a body. And a body has many different parts that function in so many different ways, but all within the scope of this unified purpose. And we've been looking at some key truths regarding spiritual gifts from from chapter 12. And we're going to finish chapter 12 this morning. But verses 1 to 11, we saw key spiritual truth number one, that spiritual gifts point us first and foremost to the gift giver. That it is God who gives the gifts. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers those gifts. Then we saw... We started to look two weeks ago at this second key truth regarding spiritual gifts that once our eyes are pointed to the gift giver, then we see that spiritual gifts point us to one another. Two weeks ago in verses 12 to 13, we we saw that the church is indeed one body. We are bound by the indwelling Holy Spirit. We see in verses 12 and 13. But not only is the church one body, this one body does indeed have different members. We each have a part to play in Christ's body, verses 14 to 20. And we're going to continue looking at this second truth, spiritual gifts point us to one another, and then we are going to conclude by looking at a third and final truth, that spiritual gifts point us to fruitful ministry. So today, we once again emphasize that we are to cling to what truly matters. And in chapter 12, what truly matters is this reality that we are called to connection and service together as one body. So as we begin, we continue looking at this second truth, spiritual gifts point us to one another Um, We're going to ask the Lord to work in our midst. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be active and alive in our midst. Lord, you said that the church, the gathered church is your holy temple. A temple not made of stones and brick, but a temple made of living stones, of hearts and souls. And Lord, you are in our lives individually, and you are also here in our midst corporately. So, Father, would you be honored and glorified through the proclamation of your word? Would you be at work through the Holy Spirit in our hearts? Lord, would you help us to see that our eyes must be looking at you as the gift giver? That, Lord, When our eyes are upon you, when we are growing in you, Lord, our eyes are then pointed to one another. Lord, would you help us 
to decrease so that Christ can increase in our lives, in our service, in our church, in our ministries. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Spiritual gifts point us to one another. The body, verses 21 to 26, that we are going to look at, the body is indeed to be unified. Now before we read verses 21 to 26, I want us to read verses 14 to 20, because these two paragraphs go together. Start reading with me in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So the body is to be unified. And by way of remembrance, I am going to present that nasty picture again to you. What if the human body looked like this? How well do you think it would function? Even if the body could function like that picture, how many functions of the body would be missing? If all of the body were an eyeball, or a nose, or a hand, or a foot, as important as those body parts are, how well do you think the body could function? Even on a practical note, how well do you think the human body would be able to enjoy life? Not very well, right? Paul is presenting... In words, what this picture is showing through your sight. So even as we read and as we look at this picture, you are involving multiple senses of parts of your body. And in verses 14 to 20, Paul is dealing with one aspect of how we can react to our part we have to play in Christ's church to the way that God has designed and gifted us. We can have a woe is me mentality and say, you know what? If I was just the hand, if I was just the eyeball, if I was just this or that in the body, how much more fulfilled, how much, how much more I could accomplish, whatever the case is, if life was different, whatever it is, woe is me. But then in verses 21 to 24, we see an, a different way that we can approach service to Christ, a different way that we can approach life. 
Look at, let's read verses 21 to the beginning of 24. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. As we stop right there, we see another perspective, another carnal, sinful perspective that we can have. That we are actually looking down on other people. The first perspective is that we are saying, oh, if I could just be like that other person. And this second perspective is, why can't they just be more like me? As we talked about two weeks ago, both perspectives are rooted in sinful pride and self. So verses 21 to the beginning of verse 24 show us that If the body is truly unified, if we are to be unified, we cannot devalue other members of the body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see, the body functionally needs each member. We need one another. I remember reading a sign at an old you know, country decor store, and, and, and maybe you've come across the same sign before. Um, and I forget exactly how it goes, but it says something to the effect of, I get along with everybody when they just agree with me. You ever, you ever read a sign similar to that? Can't that be the case in churches, in families, at the workplace? in our own hearts, why can't they just see things the way I do? Why can't they just act the way I want them to? When we're talking about variety here, we're not talking about sin issues. Sin issues need to be addressed uh, lovingly and in a Christ-centered way, but also directly. We're not talking about sin issues here. We are talking about God-given variety that He has placed within each individual. And we have no right to dictate that God-given variety to try to somehow conform it in an unhealthy way. And again, that's why Paul gives us this example of the human body. There's really no greater example So the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. If that were the case, like we talked about two weeks ago, and Paul pairs these body parts strategically here, the eye would see what the hand would not be able to grab. The eye and the hand go together. If you had no hands... Could your body still function? Yes, there are many individuals uh, in our world that do not have the ability to use their hands or do not have their hands. What happens? Someone else 
must be able to reach out for that person. It would be foolish for the eye to say to the hand, I don't need you. Just as foolish, the text says, would be for the head to say to the feet, I do not need you. The head could be thinking, and you know that movement starts with the brain. But how good would the brain be to tell the body to move if there was no feet for mobility? It would be utterly ridiculous to think this way. These body parts actually work together. And this brings us not only to the fact that the, bodily function, the body functionally needs each member, but we also see here that we cannot devalue other members of the body because each member of the body holds significance. That's what verses 22 to 24 show us. In verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Notice Paul says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker. Man, they're indispensable to a healthy, fully functioning body. Fully functioning body. Those parts that are weaker are indispensable. Have you ever thought about living life without your pinky toe? Can you walk without your pinky toe? You can, Mindy. Okay, well, which are the big toe you can't walk? The big toe is still a pretty insignificant part of your body, right? I have been, uh, I don't know, I don't know uh, what, I, I think I trace it back to some exercises I was doing. Uh, 42 years old, and I did an exercise program back when I was, you know, early 30s. And I was like, well, this is no problem. And I'm still suffering now at the bottoms of my feet from, uh, I think, plantar uh, fasciitis. <laughs> uh, plantar fascist? No, just kidding. <laughs> um, and, and I was just thinking uh, this last night or this morning, man, how you take a simple thing like walking for granted when something's in pain. No. Oh, that, that, I was wondering where, that, where, where I was going with that. The weaker. Those things that we don't give it a second thought. You know, the, the, our, our hair or lack of it, we see it in the mirror every day. We think about it. How does my hair look? Or how does my hair not look? You know, ladies, you put makeup on your face. You're thinking constantly about your, you, you know, well, hopefully not constantly. But, you know, you care about how you look. You want to be presentable. You think about your fingers as you put on jewelry. You think about different parts of your body because they are there right before you constantly. But it's those weaker, those seemingly weaker parts that we don't think about that, man, when they stop working properly, boy, do they cause us a lot of pain and frustration. I mean, think of your internal organs. How many of you wake up thinking, how's my liver doing today? Now, if you have a liver problem, you probably do. Or, you know, I am just so... Th how, when's the last time you were thankful for your nose hairs? 
What would you be breathing into your body were it not your nose hairs catching those particles and, and dirt and debris in the air that we breathe in? I mean, most of us, you know, we're trying to trim them, especially as we age and they get thicker magically. The top gets less, the nose and ear hairs get more. (laughs) But that's what Paul's talking about here. These seemingly insignificant parts to the body that are yet so important. Well, maybe, maybe the analogy of the body and the different body parts doesn't strike your fancy as much. Uh, I like the way, just in doing reading, um, another analogy that maybe gets your attention more. I, I just, I'm going to read it to you. I have it on the overhead. Think of a car. These individuals say, one could imagine a comparison between a car's oil drain plug and its electronic ignition system. One is a low-tech and and unimpressive as could be, while the other is highly sophisticated. But a car won't last long without its oil drain plug, no matter how impressive its ignition system. The various hoses used to deliver fuel or other fluids from one part of the car to the places where they are needed are not impressive or technological wonders, but it would be ridiculous to think that the car could get along without them. That's another way to think about the same truth that Paul is trying to explain. I mean, what, what catches your attention when you're looking to buy another car, whether it's brand new or used? The thing that immediately catches your attention is how shiny is it? What does it look like? You get inside, and, and, and I know if you're a mechanic or a real, you know, you're, you're detailed, those things maybe don't impress you at all, but you're looking at, you know, all of the features. Well, how good are those features when the car doesn't run? All of those impressive things. These parts that, humanly speaking, we would say are weaker, are actually indispensable. Now, Paul gives this this example of weaker body parts because all through 1 Corinthians, he has been talking about that which seems weak. For instance, in chapter 1 and verse 25, Paul says the very thing that we consider or that that humanity, that the world culture thinks is the weakness of God is stronger than men. God's very seeming weakness is still stronger than the mightiest of men. In chapter 1, verse 27, it says God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. In chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul is being sarcastic with his, uh, those that are criticizing him and says, we are weak, but yet you are so strong. In chapter 8, Paul is dealing with those with a weak conscience And he says that those who are weak need to be edified, not torn down. In chapter 9, in verse 22, Paul says, In order to win the weak, I have become weak. 
The weak are very important in God's eyes. In verse 23, he talks about not only these weaker, seemingly weaker parts of the body that are indispensable, but it says on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow a greater honor. Again, nobody's going around showing x-ray pictures to everybody. Why? Because those, the, the, the inner body parts, the organs, all of those things, those are less honorable. They're uglier to look at, but oh so crucial to the body. And then he gives one more analogy here in verse 23 at the end. and uh, It says, and our unpresentable parts are, traded, are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. Here he's talking about uh, the, the private parts of the body, that, that we treat those extra special. We clothe those parts of the body there to be uh, cared for with a greater modesty than other parts of the body require. That in and of itself is showing greater care for those unpresentable parts. Again, you see from these examples, the example of a unified body caring for each and every member. And then we get to verses 24 to 26. And we see that the body is to be unified, number one, because we cannot devalue other parts of the body, other members of the body But the body is unified for a second reason. That reason is again God's sovereign wisdom that He has expressed in so composing Christ's body. You remember verse 18, we looked at it two weeks ago. It says, but as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose the end of verse 24, (coughs) excuse me, it says, but God has so composed the body. That word composed is the same word that is used to translate arranged. God has so composed or arranged the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. Here we see God's sovereign wisdom on display once again in Christ's body. And as we talked about last week, there's two elements to Christ's body. There's the universal body of Christ that is composed of every single believer. Past, present, future. But then there are also local church bodies that are physical, tangible expressions and pictures of that broader universal body. And what we are specifically looking here at is the local body. God in His wisdom has composed this body 
This word compose that's used, it, 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 it's a word that refers to something that is put together of various items, not the same item. It has been weaved and brought together. So there is a need for unity in the body based on the diversity in the body that we look to God as the composer of. And he has given greater honor to the part that lacked. Why? That there may be no divisions in the body, but that there be equal care one for another. Did you know that there are times in the local church where a member of the body can be hurting, can be more needy, And God has so composed the local body that the members come together to help in those needs. In fact, Galatians chapter 6 says that we help carry one another's burdens. And that word for burden has the idea of a burden someone is carrying that they are about to collapse under. Because the next verse in Galatians 6 um, talks about each one carrying their own burden. That word burden is talking more about an everyday burden of life that we all carry. There are many times that we face things in life that are above and beyond the norm that we need to be ministered to in the midst of that. And when we cut off the local church from being able to minister, we are doing ourselves a disservice and we are also doing the local body a disservice. It is not a bad thing to be weak. I mean, we think about giving greater honor to those who lack. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 5 with the Beatitudes, where he talks about blessed are those who are broken, using kind of my own terms here, but broken, weary, downcast. Blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Those are all terms we want to avoid, aren't they? But the Bible says that these people are actually blessed. Why? If you are here today and you are broken, you are weary, you are downcast... you are in the best position to be able to truly see that the only way for your true needs to be met are through Christ. It is so often when we are thinking we are doing well that pride sets in and we think we don't need Christ. When we are poor, 
It is the poor, as Matthew 5 talks about, that are those who truly value the riches of Christ's kingdom. You see, God works through weakness. God works through pain. God works through sorrow. And I think instead of trying so hard to avoid those things, maybe our prayer needs to be, God, take me through those things if you must, but make yourself increase, even if that means I must decrease. That is of honor, verse 24 says, to God. So instead of comparing yourself to someone else in the body that you think they have their act all together, boy, you know, they they just have their act all together. Why can't I? Listen, it is through weakness that God works and no one has their act together Several years ago, Rachel and I started laughing because uh, Rachel told me that that someone, nobody here, this is so don't think who in this church said this, but somebody told Rachel, I can't ever imagine uh, Pastor Adam getting upset at anything, and we just started laughing because, boy, how can how can uh, outside personas or what we imagine in people's lives can be so far from the truth? Nobody has their act together. One of the things of truly being connected to the church body is overcoming this false intimidation fear that, that Satan loves to put before our, our eyes that, you know what, if you present yourself as needy or struggling, you're just going to be looked down upon and, and, and people are just going to kind of Look, look at you and, and, and kind of just rub their nose. Listen, that's, that's a lie of the devil. And if individuals do that, what greater need are they in in a state of weakness that they just do not realize? You see, God has given greater honor to those parts that lack Verse 25 says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. See, what was happening in the Corinthian church was that the elite, those who thought they were elite, would huddle together and show preference to one another, leaving those weaker members of the body to be without. And, and Paul says, no, God has given those weaker members, not so you can cloister and say we're of a higher class, but so that you can minister, and they can minister to you, and there is no division in the body. As Romans twelve fifteen says, we rejoice with those who rejoice, we weep with those who weep. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That is what the church should look like. 
Not this thing of comparison. Oh, if I was just the hand, if I was just the eye. Not this thing of looking down. If they could just be more like me. No, we rejoice together. We weep together. I want to close with a third and final truth regarding spiritual gifts. In the last several verses here of our text, we see that spiritual gifts, number three, are to point us to fruitful ministry. Fruitful ministry. What is the context for our service to the Lord? Verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We see here both a corporate and an individual focus. You, plural, you people, are the body of Christ. One body. And then he goes to the individual. And you are individually members of that corporate body. Again, every body part has a function. You remember the saying, offense is only as strong as its weakest link. How often do we think, maybe you're a member here in our local church, and you think, you know what? I don't really have that much of a part to play in this church you know what maybe I'm older maybe I can't do as much I can't get out as much what part do I have to play man there are so many parts upholding your fellow brothers and sisters your church leadership your pastors in prayer, picking up a phone, checking in on people, praying with people. Those are the things that when Jesus walked the face of this earth, he exalted. It's the poor widow who gave the little she had. It was the, the individual in the privacy of the prayer closet would get down in authenticity on their knees praying to God. What does James say? True religion before God, visiting the orphans, caring for the widows. We so many times try to glamorize ministry that we so miss the mark that God has. The context for ministry is that we are connected to a local body and we are saying, Lord, you desire to use me in this local body. And then in verse 28, we see that spiritual gifts point us to fruitful ministry because we have been equipped for ministry. Verse 20, the very beginning of verse 28, God has appointed in the church. Once again, we see God's handiwork, his active placing in the church. God appoints our gifting for ministry. Now, as we talk about God appointing our gifting for ministry, it is not that we only serve within, well, I'm not gifted for that, so sorry, brother, sorry, sister, can't do that. What? I mean, James talks about, you know, the, the guy that, that, 
Someone comes and, and he's in need and, and, and then they say, they don't meet the need and they say, be blessed. Praise God, you know, I'm going to pray for that need and, uh, and leaves them without doing what they can. We don't want to be that type of people. God wants to use us. So it's not that we only serve where we think we are gifted, but it is acknowledging that God has gifted us. God appoints our gifting for ministry. It's not an accident that you are wired the way you are. It's not an accident that you have abilities that God has given you. We see then in the rest of verse 28, not only has God appoints our gifting for ministry, but God has equipped the church to prosper. Paul gets specific here. He says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now we don't have, again, we don't have a lot of time to get into this. A couple weeks ago, we, we talked about some of these uh, variety of spiritual gifts, but we see here God has given gifted people and he has, often, he has also given gifts. The gifted people that Paul talks about here, it talks about first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Why does it say first, second, third? Is this some type of hierarchy? Well, more than likely not. You see, Paul is dealing here with foundational gifts, people, that God has given for the establishment and the sustenance of, of his church. It's more than likely first, second, third is more dealing chronologically. God has appointed in the church first apostles. God has had set aside, he had commissioned his apostles in the book of Acts to carry the gospel and in the foundation of the church, what a key role the apostles had to play as they wrote Scripture, as they taught doctrinal truth, and then prophets. God used prophets in the life of the church to continue the church on the right track of the doctrine that the apostles laid down. Now more... I see that these gifts, these, these offices of apostle and prophets as being foundational gifts to the church that I, I don't see there being present-day apostles or present-day prophets as offices in the church. Ephesians 2 and verse 20 says that the church has been, that, uh, has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now Paul is going to, Pastor Dennis will talk about this in chapter 14. As we see in the text, those who are exercising, exercising the gift of prophecy did not necessarily have to be holding an office of prophet. But here Paul is talking about uh, gifted offices that God has given for the establishment of the church. And then of third, he says, teachers. And it's teachers 
that continued proclaiming the truth of what the apostles laid down that the prophets declared. And then Paul moves to gifts, spiritual gifts, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Uh, Back in verses 9 to 10, uh, most of these, though not all, were listed. You remember, no listing of spiritual gifts is exhaustive, is complete. It's not like, okay, here's the 15 spiritual gifts that are in existence as we put everything together. No, these are examples of gifts. We see miracles and gifts of healing. The two kind of go together. We see helping. And once again, in an official sense, biblically, deacons are those who are, who are called to, to, to serve in the everyday functions of the local church. But even that, helping, is not just confined to the office of a deacon. We are all called to serve one another. Administrating. Now, administration is a part of the responsibilities of elders. Deacons, they are called in the everyday service of the church. Elders are called to shepherd God's people. And and we have talked in the past and and continue to talk about about even our church with the proper, uh, using the proper terms and, and, and establishing elders. But elders, they serve in the administrating of the church, but they are not the only ones that are given the gift of administration. That the body functions together through people equipped. And then Paul mentions various kinds of tongues as he discussed earlier in this chapter. And Paul, I think, purposefully puts tongues last because as we'll see in chapter 14 the Corinthian church was trying to exalt tongues and he's saying look guys you're missing the big picture now many times individuals will say well pastor Adam and I've kind of already touched on some of this dealing with offices and apostles and prophets but the, uh, individuals may ask well Adam What about the gifts of miracles, the gifts of healings, um, tongues, uh, even prophecy? Are are those in existence today? And I think if one is to say they're in existence today, one has to be biblical. Okay, is there an interpreter for tongues? Are those who claiming they have a a word of prophecy, is is it contradicting Scripture? We're not going to get into all of that. I think the the full exercise of what we see uh, these gifts being commonplace in the Old Testament or in the New Testament and the founding of the church, I do not think they're as commonplace as many individuals like to make them to be, some of these gifts. But I also think that so many times in conservative circles, we spend more time saying what God cannot do that we forget what God can do. 
What I want us to see this morning is not this this argument about, well, what is in existence today? What is not in existence today? I want us to see that God is actively at work in our lives and in His church through spiritual gifts. Are you allowing Him to use you? Or are you being so caught up with the passing away temporal things in this world that you are not only doing yourself a disservice, you are doing the body of Christ a disservice. As we close these last three verses, in verses 29 to 30, I want us to have a few reminders in ministry. Notice that Paul says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? I want to give you three reminders regarding spiritual gifts and ministry. Number one, we must see the necessity of the variously gifted members in the body. And that's what Paul has been saying in giving these analogies to the human body. Number two, no one person is the be-all, end-all to the church. No one individual person is the be-all, end-all to the church. That's why, man, some... Some churches you hear about that if they say, well, I'm the pastor, so, you know, listen to the man of God. Think, wow, what an undue weight of responsibility you are putting on yourself. That you yourself are the sole director of God's flock. No, God works in plurality of leaders. You and I individually are not the be-all, end-all to the church. Number three, we serve with the giftings and capacities that the Lord has given us. Stop comparing yourself with others. Stop viewing certain things through the lens of others. You know what? God has called us all to evangelism, right? to share our faith. But what do we do? It seems like specifically with that gift of, uh, or, or that responsibility of sharing our faith, we get somebody or, uh, that's, that's really good at it and then we compare ourselves with that person. Listen, maybe God wants you to share your faith and be his ambassador in an entirely different way than another person based on your wiring. God is going to take us all out of our comfort zone. So we're not saying, you know, just stay huddled up in a ball. But what if God has wired you to be able to reach in a different way someone that someone else can't reach in the way that God has wired them? Stop comparing yourself with others. We're not going to read this for sake of time, but if you're taking notes, write down to look up later 1 Peter 4, verses 10 to 11. Remember, we are serving the Lord and not men. 
the Lord has gifted us, and it is the Lord who equips for what He calls us to. And I want to close in verse 31. We have been equipped for ministry. God appoints our gifting for ministry. God has equipped the church to prosper. We've been given some reminders for ministry. And now I want us to look at this last verse. What is to be our focus in ministry? Verse 31 says, But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now don't think when Paul says that, well, Paul, did you just go against what you just said in verse 29 and 30? Because the tendency is to see these quote-unquote higher gifts and to want to emulate those. No, what, what Paul is saying when he says earnestly desire the higher gifts are earnestly desire the gifts, whatever they may be, that build up the body of Christ. That build up your fellow brother or sister in Christ. That is what you are to earnestly desire. Listen, you desire to serve the Lord, that is a good thing. You desire to be used by the Lord, that is a good thing. But do not get caught up in the wrong thinking that you have to be serving God in His body in this certain way that you're thinking of other people. The higher gifts are those that build up in contrast to what we're going to see in chapter 14. Those people that are using spiritual gifts that seem flashy and showy and all they're doing is drawing attention to themselves. What's the phrase of the day? Christ must increase, I must decrease. The last sentence that Paul uses in chapter 12 paves the way for what we'll look at next week in chapter 13. He says, I will show you a still more excellent way. As we'll see next week, that is the way of love. So as we close today, we are called to cling to what truly matters. In the context of chapter 12, what truly matters? The fact that we are called to connection to Christ's body and service to Christ's body. As we all encompass that one local body of Christ.